0: Good morning, Victory. How's everybody doing today? Good? Man, I'm excited to be here. Um, So I wanted to start this morning with a little bit of an introduction to myself, because I know I'm new to a lot of the people here. Um, And some of you I've had the awesome opportunity to meet. Um, I still got some people to meet, some people that I really want to get to know um, as as we've been here. I think we've been here about four four or five months now, and it's been awesome. Um, so I'm from Southern Illinois, Carbondale, Illinois, and uh, I was born into a family, a, a pastor's family, um, and I'm seven out of ten kids. So family is what I knew, church is what I knew growing up. Um, my parents uh, were in Tulsa, Oklahoma and in the 90s, um, receiving ministry training, and my dad was at ORU, and the Lord said, go back to Carbondale, where he was from, where he was born. And I've got everything that you need there, waiting for you, for your ministry, for your family, and um, for all of your life. I've got things set in place for you there. And 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 Dad always says, "Man, uh, my prayer was, Father, uh, a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. I don't think I want to go back." Um, but he said, "Go. I've got what I've got. What you need there." And he did that. And um, lo and behold, when he said yes, all of a sudden I came along. And uh, uh, you, you can laugh. About three months after, about three months after that, um, I was born once we were in Carbondale. So um, Southern Illinois was my life. It's all I knew. Only place I've ever lived. And I love it. I love it there. And so um, coming up as a child, man, church is what I knew. I mean, this was, this was my place. These were my people. You know, a pastor's kid. That means mom had us there while she was doing her work on Tuesday. She had us there on Wednesday, she had us there on Thursday, and she had us there on Friday, and a little bit of Saturday. So we were we were at the church, we were raised there. I was homeschooled, um, so so me and my family, my mom, we're so close, knit together, and got an incredible pair of parents that have um, trained up uh, godly offspring. Ten kids with everybody pursuing the Lord, honoring the Lord with their lives, and desiring His will. Dad always said that their heart in parenting was that when their kids leave this house, that they'd be able to hear the voice of the Lord and have a heart to obey it. And by God's grace, they've been seeing the fruit of that. And so that's my heritage. That's, um, that's what I come from. And that's what has built me. Um, so we started, started church. Uh, we, I was about a month old. Um, my parents started church in their living room in 99, uh, 98 and then uh, end of 98 and then end of 99. Um, church grew, they were hopping locations, much like the story of this church, um, trying to find the right location in different spots, and the Lord provided a building. So the church went on until 2010, and the Lord put them in a pivot in their ministry, uh, sitting there in Carbondale, the median income in Carbondale is $18,000. Um, so there's a lot of poverty going on, even with the university. Um, it's a lot of industry there. Um, it's kind of down in coal mine country, so uh, the whole area has, has been kind of devastated in the last couple decades by the uh, economy coming down in the coal industry. And the Lord said that there was a group of people... That our ministry was supposed to turn towards. And it was the, it was the broken people in southern Illinois. It, it was those who didn't have a home. They didn't have people that loved them. Um, they were impoverished. We, we've got a large homeless community. Um, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, you name it, Carbondale has got it. Um, the most broken of the broken people were there. And we were looking around in 2010 and said, who's, who's reaching for these people? I mean, who who's pouring into these people's lives? And um, by the grace of God, our church said, we'll do it. We'll do it. So we, we took our, um, our typical church model and we turned it and transitioned it in 2010 to a dream center model. If you've ever heard of it, a, a dream center is a place that is created for the outcasts of society to come in, meet the Lord, be together, and to grow and, and to get a restart, a reset. And the Lord opened doors for us to do that through food ministry. So um, there's there's a lot of food distribution that goes on. It's it's about ten to fifteen thousand pounds of food go out the door every week. And since 2010, I was just talking to my brother yesterday, who's the associate pastor. He said in in May of this year, they hit five million pounds of food distributed since 2010. So really cool what the Lord is doing there. And in the midst of all of this, there's a there's a church body and a core, and so much of it is is my family at this point. Um, that has been there since the beginning, but the Lord has brought in unique tools and giftings from broken people. I mean, we're talking about people who they came to the church and they they were deep in their addictions, um, they weren't socially uh, responsive, um, just difficult people in a in a tough demographic of people, and. Um, the church 's heart was moved for these people, and we we have seen a storyline over and over again of the Lord bringing these people in they 're hurt and broken um, and the and God got a hold of their hearts, they desired the lord and um, and this transformation we 've been getting to see take place and it 's amazing um, if you 've seen someone come from something like that it 's not going to be an overnight restoration where where they're going to immediately be back um, in society, operating as as a normal individual, as we would see it. Um, it's a It's a storyline that has to take place, and a testimony that has to build and grow. And by God's grace, we've seen, man, the people who first came into that building in 2010 are now our volunteers, and the people that are making the ministry go. So it's been really cool to see. And this morning... Um, when Pastor Mike asked me to do this, he—I he, kind of told him this story of what our ministry was, and he said, "I want you to talk about that." Um, and that was difficult, honestly, because as soon as I looked at that, I said, "Yes, I, I'll do it. I'm—you know—I'm a, I'm a willing heart. I want to have a willing spirit. I'll, I'll teach on that." And um, but at the same time, you know, in the back of my mind, I've had this this thing that's gone on. That it's, it's been like. Um, Boy, that's my, that's my dad's calling. That's, that's my dad's ministry. I love serving there and being there in that season, but isn't that, God, isn't that dad's ministry? Isn't that his calling and, and my brother's calling and whoever else in the family wants to do that? That's, that's for them and I'll go on and do something else. And, and I do believe the Lord has called me here. Um, and it's been amazing as we decided to make this move back at the beginning of the year, um, the Lord's hand's just been on it. He's, he's been all over us. And and coming into this body, man, as soon as we got here, it only took a few weeks for, you know, live, grew up here, but for me to come in and say, this is my home. These, these are my people. Um, much because I look and I see... Pastor Bob and Pastor Mike and and John and Nieder and all of those who were back at the at the beginning in this Bible study and I, and I've heard the story of the church and it's a beautiful thing of faithfulness where the Lord's taken these people they set them here in Ballotin and they've been faithful year after year after year after year high and low uh, mountain and valley they've been here they've been invested in the people and their heart for the mission hasn't dimmed and hasn't changed. And it's just amazed me since I've been here to see um, what the Lord is doing in this church, in this body, and the vibrancy that he has in the midst of such incredible faithfulness. So we're really grateful to be here, Um, really excited um, about, you know, hopefully spending years and years with you guys. We don't have any plans on going anywhere, and and so I think you're stuck for us for a little while. Um, and so Olivia and I and LEA we're just blessed to be here and call you guys family. So thank you guys. So this morning I want to talk about, um, the title of my message is Pure Religion. And and I want to talk about loving the unloved and touching the untouched. And um, this message has really rocked me a little bit to my core in the last couple of weeks. Um, as I've looked at the heart of God that he has Um, for the unloved among us and the broken among us and I look at my heart and they don't match they don't I see I see God's big heart for this matter and the intensity that he has throughout scripture and I look at my heart and man something's not right The, the pieces aren't fitting together I'm not aligned with this and I don't think it's it's God that needs to move on this I think it's me um and it's broken me this week so my uh Base verse for this, and why my message is called pure religion is because it's from James 1 uh, 27, and I'm gonna read 26 and 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And I look at that, and and I look at that word, religion. It's the first thing that popped out to me when I when I read this verse this week, and, and I was getting ready for this. And I look at it and think, man, how do we think about that word, religion? I mean, how many times have we heard, you know, um, it's, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I mean, how many times have we heard that? A lot of times here, and we say that, and, and that's true because um, in our paradigm we look at uh, religion, and we say, boy, those are duties, um, those are activities, those are things that people have set in place, and we've got to follow the rules, when really the Holy Spirit is here for interaction with us. But my, what's challenged me in this verse is that this isn't scripture, this isn't a man-made idea, pure religion it's caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself unblemished by the world. We spend a lot of time in church talking about the second part of that verse, keeping oneself unblemished and um, unmarked, some versions say, and undefiled, other versions say, by the world. We, we spend a lot of time, and that is key. That's so important. That's hand in hand right there. But the first part of this I think is lacking some vitality, at least in my heart and I think in the body today, of caring for the orphans and widows or visiting the orphans and widows, as some would say, in their distress or in their need. Some other places, I, I just want to go through a little bit of scripture here. And I know uh, I was telling Liv on the way in today, I've heard some some people preach and and it seems like they, they read scripture. And that's the voice of God, and that's the foundation. But at the same time, there's not a lot more. So I was a little nervous to go through and just read a bunch of scripture today. But I decided, you know what? Uh, this is the word of God. So let's, let's read it. Let's, let's dive in a little bit here. And I'm just going to go through some passages. And I want us to, to listen and listen in my own heart, um, to what God is saying here through these verses. So if you'll hang with me in a minute and just, um, listen as this is the voice of the Lord from the word and, and, um, See what he wants to speak to us. In Proverbs 31, 8, and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Luke twelve, thirty-two through 34. Do not be afraid, little, fo- little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief um, comes near... And no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Psalms 113.7. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Job 5.15. He saves the needy from the sword of their mouth. He saves them from the clutches of uh, the powerful. So the poor have hope. And injustice shuts its mouth. Jeremiah two three. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do, do not um, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this space proverbs twenty nine seven A righteous man knows the rights of the poor, a wicked man does not understand such knowledge first john three seventeen If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does god's love abide in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in action. And in truth. Proverbs 14, 21. Those who despise their neighbor are sinners, but happy are those who are kind to the poor. Psalm seventy two twelve through 14 For he delivers the needy when they call. The poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life. Precious is their blood in his sight. Matthew 19, 21. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever shuts their eyes to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. Proverbs 22, 9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Deuteronomy 15 17, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns or the lands that the Lord is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Psalms two three Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and oppressed. Isaiah 58.10, If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Isaiah 41.17, The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Isaiah 58, 6-7 Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? In Jeremiah 22, 16 He defended the cause of the poor and needy and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. If you didn't take any notes, that's fine. I, I literally just went and googled like poverty verses, like uh, verses about the poor and the needy. Like that's it. And this is just like a little chunk that I found in there. And the the scripture is just packed full of this. To defend the poor and needy in their distress. Um, come to the aid of those that cry out in need. It's it's all throughout the scriptures. And let me get back to my notes here. But. What I see in this is, man, there is something to God's heart on this matter, to how we look at this. There, there is something here in, in a place that we can grow and, and encourage one another and, and build this body um, with the people that the Lord's heart is crying out for. So I want to look a little bit as we go through this, a little bit more of God's perspective. And I think anytime we're looking at um, what God thinks, it's a great place to start in the garden. And um, to go back to Genesis and see how did he create this to be before sin came into the world, um, before this all, uh, w- we broke this thing, you know? I mean, before sin came on us and, and we got this nature inside of us that, that separates us from God, what did this look like? What did he intend? Um, and, I th- and I think first off, it's that we lived in community with him. Um, that we were, Adam and Eve were walking in the garden in community conversation with God, and he was there walking in the garden, Genesis says. It's, a, it's an amazing reality. And um, in that, we see that that Adam and Eve were just perfect. They were unstained by the world. So it's like that James 1.27, that second part of keeping yourselves un, unstained by the world. That was like daily reality in the garden. Um, then we see by... Uh, by our free will, sin came into the world through the sin of Adam and Eve, and all of a sudden, the first part of James one twenty seven has to become reality: of pure religion is caring for the orphans and widows in their distress. Um, so then we see this period where, all right, sin's in the world. Um, read through Genesis, and you'll see, man, things were messy. I mean, it was really messy. You, you've got a day in time where you look at Noah, and Noah was the righteous man that God found in the world. I mean, think about that. You've got the world, and Noah found I mean, God found Noah and said, this is it. Like, the rest is gone. You know, I mean, that's a crazy reality. If you look around the world today, I mean, what if it came down to, like, one guy and his three sons and their wives, and that was it, and the rest is like, I, I'm done with it. It's over, you know? And so the world came to that reality, and we see God chose this people, and he called Abraham, and he selected this people, and he said, you're going to be my people, and he made a covenant, right? Um, and then, as we see in history, we see, okay, God selected these people, man, God's favor must really be on these people, you know? I mean, I bet they live in prosperity constantly, uh, their needs are taken care of. this is like a this is like a garden thing going on, you know, I mean, they're walking with God, God's walking with them, Nothing else, no other issues. No, we look and we see the Israelites, they are like the most oppressed nation in the world, and literally in the period that um, the descendants of Abraham and that promise is coming to be, like where the people group is actually getting large, what was that setting? the slavery. Like, that's, that's where God's people actually became a population. Like, it was in slavery and in bondage. Yet, God had selected these people as the chosen ones. Like, this was the group that He wanted and that He desired. I think that's really interesting, you know, He didn't, He didn't select an established country. But the country that He decided, the people group He decided, was people in, in bondage, in slavery. So then we see that storyline where the Israelites are constantly being attacked. They're constantly the enemy, and there's three or four other nations attacking them, and they're trying to stand up and defend themselves, and then they go into captivity and reject the Lord, and then they come back and reject the Lord and come back. And then we see Jesus come into the story. And we see Jesus come for a people that is in bondage under the Roman Empire and he comes to this time, and people think he's going to be a liberator. They think a king's going to come and a Messiah's going to come. Yet he comes so low. I mean, we, we see this message every year at Christmas. I mean, he comes so low. And he comes in a stable. And he comes to um, a Virgin Mary, an unmarried woman uh, that we believe was young, like maybe teenage years. And just the most humble situation. Not even, I mean, born in a, in a barn you know, and he comes down to this low, low place. Then we see he walks out in humble fashion. and He's walking with the broken, right? I mean, we've seen the story again and again. He's walking with the broken people. Um, he's, he's spending his time with uh, the rebels, spending his time with the adulterers, the sinners, and he's bringing redemption to this people group. But we don't really see that he's like, you know, running with the government. I mean, he's not really running with like, Rome and he's really pushing back on the religious leadership and, um, really the Israelite leadership of God's chosen people. That's who he's pushing against. Yet these are the fellows that he's running with is, is the people that are broken and that are in need and, and um, don't have enough for their daily needs. And then he challenged those that marginalized them. You know, we see again and again, um, we look at the, uh, Pharisees and the chief priests and the Sadducees and the way that he challenged them on the way that they interacted with the weak and broken constantly throughout the, the gospel. And then the, out of that, you know, we switch the storyline to where the church is established, right? And once again, immediately, this great movement that God wants to do comes in a church that, like, before there is a church, they're already being persecuted, like, right away. And these are, like, this is, like, the chosen group, along with the Israelites, like, here there's neither Greek nor Jew circumcised, or uncircumcised, like, we're all one now, we're all one group, and immediately, like, we're not liberated, we're automatically oppressed, we're automatically marginalized by society. So this trend just keeps going as, as we look through history, and then we see at the end in Revelation that um, Jesus is going to return for a spotless bride. He's going to return for a humble bride. But as we read through Revelation, it's once again a persecuted bride. It's once again a people that are marginalized or set aside. They're a little weird. Uh, they're not going along with society. And there's government oppression at that point as we look in in Revelation. So the storyline of this is really interesting. So so if we step back and look at God's perspective, man, there's something, there seems like there's something to this of who he's selecting, right? I mean, of who he wants to use, who he's reaching for, who God wants relationship with, and and all of that. And so I want to pivot out of that then and look a little bit at the perspective that Jesus gave um, in the Good Samaritan. So in Luke 10, 25 through 37, we see this uh parable that jesus gives and uh, as, it, as it goes i'm going to read through this um, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test jesus so like a religious leader and, and israelite leader he said teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life what is written in the law he replied how do you read it so the te- the re- leader the expert in the law answered uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So he got it. He got the answer right. Like that's, That is what he must do to inherit eternal life. Um, but then it says that um, he wanted to justify himself. So I lost my spot here. So Jesus said, do this and you'll live. You answered correctly. So then uh, the, the expert of the law says... Um, who is my neighbor then? So he went and he's like, well, I kind of want to justify myself and make sure that I'm doing this uh, correctly and I want Jesus to kind of puff me up here in front of these people that he's teaching and, and explain who the neighbor is so that everybody can see, oh, I'm justified in this and I'm loving my neighbor as myself. So then Jesus goes on and he tells this, this parable. <clears throat> he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho He went to him and banished his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you've had. Which of these um, three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we've heard this story, right? The Good Samaritan. I mean, if, if you came up in um, Sunday school, you've heard this story many times with characters and all that. And there's something in particular in this story that I really want to look at. Now, I want to look at that priest that walked by this man that was beaten and half dead and, and left to die. And I want to look at the Levite. And I think there's a picture here for us of something that we can take and and um, chew on and, and grow from here, because I think as those those men walk by, I mean, this is a religious leader. This this guy, this priest, is he's a big deal, you know, and he knows the word of the Lord, he's seen this story in history, he's studied history, he knows the law, and he knows what the Lord says about treating one another and helping the poor and afflicted. So I'm wondering, you know, as we delve into this parable, what might have been going through the, the priest's mind in this parable. I mean, what might have been going... Or or that Levite who came along and he saw a brother, someone um, from his same heritage, laying there half dead. Yet he saw that and he just walked by. And some thoughts that I just had in thinking about this were these. is I wonder if those guys said, ah, that's messy. That's messy. I think I'm just going to go on by. You know, that's a, that man's, you know, he's, he's half dead. I mean, it's not looking good. Or maybe they said, you know, it's, it's just too late for him. Too late for him. Too bad. If I were here a little earlier, maybe, maybe I could have helped him, you know. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they said, that's not my job. You know, I mean, I, I'm not a paramedic. Uh, I, I don't know anything about the medical side of this. Um, I'm sure someone's going to come on later. Help this guy out, uh, it's probably too late anyways. So I think I'll just go on with my day. Or maybe, and this is something I've said a few times, they said, ah, that's not my calling. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this in life and this going on and, but helping, helping people who are beaten and, um, someone who's a victim, ah, that's just not my job. You know, I'm not called to the dream center. Kind of like what I had, realized in my heart is like i said uh well that's my dad's mission that's my dad's ministry you know other people in my family that's super great love serving there but it's not really my calling you know and not really what i'm gonna do so uh, i think i'll just pass on by and that just those thoughts just really convicted my heart you know of what is my perspective on this where is god's perspective on this and what am I going to do in response if that's really the case? That that he says, go and do likewise to a priest, a man who, if you were walking in, in or a teacher of the law, an expert in the law, if you were walking the call of, of God as he believed he did, um, he wasn't a paramedic. He, his responsibility wasn't to to help people along the road. So he just went along. And I look at myself and I say, is that, is that what I would do in that circumstance? Are those the words I would say? Or let's say it's not a man laying on the side of the road, um, because he was beaten, but maybe it's a poor man. He's laying on the street and, and I say, uh, I'm, I'm glad there are people to help people like that. Maybe I say, you know, I'll, I'm glad I donate to this ministry, but for right now I'm just gonna walk on by because that's not my responsibility just really convicting to me and i think the challenge in this is is the fact that the samaritan man didn't come along and he didn't see this man in distress and have a a spur of the moment idea of oh i think today i'm feeling generous i'm going to help this man but even this guy who as we see the samaritans were enemies of God's people, you know, there's even a story where Jesus and the disciples are going through a town and they're going to stay there, um, but when the Samaritans realized they were traveling to Jerusalem, they kicked them on down the road, you know, I mean, this is, these were, these people were at odds with one another, yet he came along, and it wasn't a spur-of-moment thing, of was like, oh, well, today I'm going to be generous, no, this is a man whose heart um, was ready for this circumstance, his heart was prepared that when he saw someone that was destitute and in need, his heart, his nature was to give. My prayer today is that 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 could be our, our response. That's how we could act just as Jesus said, go and do likewise. So I think the challenging reality in this to me is that as we look at the church and we take these two stories together, as we walk through the the history of the bible and the future that we see in revelation and what's to come i think that in light of eternity um the people that are destitute um that are poor and needy um uh, the orphans the widows the the castouts of society that's our demographic in light of eternity that's who that's who we're a part of cuz jesus came for for the least of us and so we, I think we need to claim a piece of our heritage as the church of saying, these are our people, so let's bring them in. Uh, it's not pretty, it's not a clean situation, but these are our people in light of eternity that um, the Father's heart is after. So how will we respond? Uh, I read a great quote this week from D.L. Moody, he said, our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding in things in life that don't really matter. And I'm looking at the picture of the church today and um, and where we're at, you know, what's going on and, and what everybody's doing. And it, there's a whole bunch of other sermons to do for that that um, I'm so grateful we have Pastor Mike to go through and he's going to come back and he's going to fix that all for us and go through all the theology of it. And I don't have to mess with that today. But um, one thing I want to look at is uh, I was read this week in Ezekiel 16, verse 49 and 50. And Ezekiel is speaking to Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, in a time when they were running from the Lord and running from His commands and weren't in line with His instructions for them. And he compares them to Sodom. Which is crazy because we look, uh, we look at, in the Bible at Sodom and it's a broken, broken place and there's, there's some sins in particular that we see Sodom was committing that are the first thing that come, come to my mind when I, when I think of Sodom. It's the sexual immorality, it's homosexuality, it's all this stuff that, that we see. And Ezekiel, speaking from, from the voice of the Lord, um, in, inspired scripture, said this about Sodom and Jerusalem. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, careless ease. But she did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you've seen. So this is what he said the sins of Sodom were, that they had arrogance. That they had an abundance of food, and they had careless ease, but they didn't help the poor and needy. They had all these things going for them. They they had a, a society that embraced the idea of just live through life carelessly, this careless ease. They had an abundance. There wasn't any starvation going on. There was plenty of food to go around. Um... And they were arrogant. They were, they were really, really, they were just comfortable in that spot. Um, and they didn't help the poor and needy in that circumstance. And the Lord says, This is the sin of Sodom right here. Man, this is convicting to my heart. The Lord did away with them out of those sins. So I look at the American church today and I say, Man, there's some, there's some of this going on. You know, there's some arrogance in the church. Uh, there's some abundance of food in in the church today, and there is a uh, there's a careless ease, you know, that we're going on, and we're living our lives, and we're doing that Sunday morning show up at church thing, and maybe we do a little ministry during the week, but things are good, you know, life's good, and we're going through life with this careless ease. So many in the church, and the Lord sees that, and and this is His perspective on that sin when we have those things going on and we're not caring for the poor and needy he he did away with sodom so let's lighten this up a little bit (laughs) because this is heavy this is heavy stuff you know i mean this is i don't know about you guys but studying this man this is why this was breaking me this week it's like this just convicted my heart so much of where my heart was at Am, am i going through life with some careless ease you know, I've got this abundance of food going on, um, but am I accountable to, to feeding the hungry and the needy? And I think, I think the motivation for us has got to be in this verse is that we have, these, we have these sodomite opportunities. We've got an abundance of food. I mean, we're so blessed in the United States, and we've got an ability, a safety around us whether it's deteriorating or not doesn't matter right now. We've got this safety shell around us where we can live life with this careless ease. I mean, I don't really look around behind my back much. I don't know about you guys, but I don't really have to, to worry much about um, preserving my life. I mean, things are pretty safe, it feels, in, in our society most of the time, as it goes for our basic needs. I mean, I don't really worry that the grocery store is going to run out of food tomorrow. I just don't have to worry too much about it. But... I'm wondering if there is a responsibility that we have in the fact that we have so much provided to us that the Lord wants to use to feed the nations I mean, to feed the broken among us. And where can we give? I mean, this is a church that that has just been so generous. And I've heard that of this body that we've given and given and given and we've met needs and the Lord's done wonderful things in it. And I mean, that's just something to celebrate among us. That's something that's big that we're doing, but I think um, this is something that we've got to get in the body of Christ today, amen? I mean, where we're given to, to the needs of the world, that we're meeting in the needs of the of the needy and oppressed and the orphan and the widow. So as we look at this, um, my mind turns to like Luke 12, and this is where, this is kind of an odd spot that I turn to, um, but Jesus was going through these parables and he's talking about um, the servants who had a master that left. And they were left in charge of many. And we see this kind of parable a few times in the parable of the talents. Where Jesus, you know, he left uh, one with one servant, five with another, ten with another. And they came back and they doubled it. And they they were faithful to to what they had and the amount they had. So this parable kind of comes in, in this frame. In Luke twelve, and so the, here's kind of the story of what Jesus said. He said, The Lord Lord answered, Who then is faithful who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants, to give them their food allowance in their proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. Then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come one day when he does not expect, and in an hour and time he is not aware of, he'll cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from everyone who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And I th- I think there's something for us here in this where the Lord has entrusted us with so much. I mean, we're, we're living, I, I look around this room, and as it compares to the nations, there's bountiful wealth in this room I mean there's you know Olivia and I we're in entry-level jobs and I look at this and compare it to the state of the world and I'm like man we've got bountiful wealth I mean we've got cars to drive we've got uh, a house to live in with nice amenities I mean we've got all these needs and, and that are met everything that we could need I mean the United States we're just living in a, in a season of bountiful wealth which is so beautiful, in a, and I think it's a blessing from the Lord. And I believe in, in these principles of prosperity that if that if um, we're faithful in little, God's gonna give us much. But I think we can't forget that when we're faithful with this little bit, there's an increased accountability that we're gonna be held to by having much. The Lord's gonna look, and I think he's gonna he's gonna see the United States and say, all right, I gave you this bountiful prosperity, but what'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? Some numbers to look at. You know, in, worldwide, we've got 258 million widows living in the world, 153 million orphans, 40 million individuals in human trafficking. And there are 60, 698 million people in the world that live in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty, according to the World Bank, and these numbers in their study, is a dollar and ninety cents or less per day. That's what they've got coming in around the world. Six hundred ninety-eight million, and the estimate coming out of twenty twenty-one with the pandemic is that uh, another one hundred fifty million will be added to that number. Then I look here in our own country, you know, in the United States, we've got eleven million widows, uh, four hundred thirty-seven children in the foster care system. One hundred and twenty thousand of those more than one hundred and twenty thousand that are waiting to be adopted five hundred and fifty three thousand people that are homeless in the United States, and um, the estimates on just individuals that are in, in our land and being trafficked, owned by other people is 240,000 to three hundred and thirty thousand people we think guys this is a this is an epi- epidemic among us I mean the world Needs us. The world needs us. This is, a, this is a tough, tough topic to cover, you know, and as I I talked to Pastor Mike about this earlier this week. I apologize. I talked to Pastor Mike on his sabbatical. Um, and I told him, Mike, you gave me a really hard one. I mean, you gave me a really hard topic. I wish I was coming in here. Let's talk about the joy of the Lord. You know, joy of the is our strength. And, but this is difficult. This is tough stuff. This is difficult stuff to follow. And we're living in a day and age where I think a lot of the church, we realize this is an issue, right? I mean, we see this. We see the homeless people. We know this is going on. We know this stuff is going on. And we talk about it, you know, and we look at what the solutions are going on around us, and most of it's the government, you know. And I was thinking this morning, when we were seeing, um, I won't let the rocks cry out in my place. This is an odd thought, but I had a thought come to me: I, I don't want to let the government do my calling and my work in my place. I mean, I'm tired of the church not stepping up and doing this this work, where where we're given from our bounty to touch these people's lives. Because this is what we're called to. You know, these are the people that God had chosen and is still choosing today. As his people. So I, I guess my call today. Um, and whoever's playing can go ahead and come on up. My call today is. Could we take this in our hearts? You know. Could we take this message of. There are people out there who need. Something of what I've got. You know. It's not a pretty situation. I think about the dream center. And I think about these people. Um, that are there. And it's really difficult to do this because it's it's great to imagine a mission field mindset and going and touching people's lives. But a lot of times you get there and you realize the depths of the depravity that these people are in, you know, where maybe they don't want out. Maybe homeless people have a mindset where maybe just living on the streets is better. That's that's a real thing. I've, I've talked to these homeless people and they're content where they are. Their minds are not functioning. You know, this is hard stuff because you've got to go into these situations and have a degree of unconditional love because if you've got conditions, I promise you they won't be met. I promise you they won't be met. These people, there's a reason they're this broken there's things that have happened and and there's a reason that it's it's gotten this bad for them. So this is what I'm thinking today. Maybe we can go out of here and we can say, "Lord, I see your word. I see what you've spoken. I see what you've done in history." And I see that, man, my heart, my heart's not in line with yours here. And I don't want to get enough in a place where, you know, I'm saying, beating a rod and saying, let's do this, church. Come on, we're, we're messing up because there's so much that we're doing. There's so much we're doing and there's so much uh, that we're investing and so many lives that are touching and people that are coming into this house and they're feeling welcome. They're finding a home here. They're finding restoration here. People are finding that abundant life, that mission of victory in Christ and learning how to live it here. And I just say, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm wondering if this week, man, Lord, can we get a little closer to your heart? Father, would we leave behind those thoughts that say, maybe if I do this, this will be enough for God. Maybe if I give this, then the Lord will be satisfied. Maybe if I serve here this many days, this many hours in a year, then I'm doing enough. Father, would our hearts be moved from a minimalist spiritual standpoint? Where we're saying, Father, if this is your heart, this is what we want. And where where we're saying that scary prayer of Christ would you be magnified on the altar of my life making ourselves an altar that he can work on making our hearts something that he can build on so Father would you see our hearts today Lord I thank you for what you've done in us Lord I don't want to miss what you're doing I don't want to miss what you've done and we just praise you for that, Lord. We're encouraged to say we're a part of this mission. We're a part of what you're doing. And Lord, if if there's something more for me to do, would you show me, would you make my heart ready? you make my heart receptive to your word? spirit I don't know if if today for us that's you know for some people this this is going to go differently Um, our hearts are going to be moved a little differently because we do have callings and we do have missions um, that we each live in and there's a lot of broken people in the world there's a lot of people that need help and we can't do it all And we're not going to be able to take one brush stroke and fix it and and clean it all up. It's, it's It's a piece by piece work. What I do believe though is that if the body of Christ, starting with me, would say, Lord, whatever more you have for me, I'll do it. Whatever a next step is, I'll take it. If it's uncomfortable, Lord, I'll go. Father, we thank you. I asked Liv if if at the end of this she'd sing this song closer that I think a lot of us know. um, Where we can just come and say, Lord, I want to get closer to your heart. Pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart think that if we do that and if we really mean that we want to be closer that the Lord will use us he'll show us that next step maybe for some people it's your, Lord, has been moving on your heart for foster care and maybe, maybe out of this, you know, this week um, the Lord will kick down that last wall inside of you and say, I'll do it, I'm called to this this is what the Lord has for me Maybe there's a ministry that that you're familiar with, or someone's told you about, and it's been on your mind. Man, I need to give there. I need to get involved. I need to I need to tap into that. Maybe that's the the step for you. Think of the people. Think of in Marshall. You know, there's um, there are soup kitchens in Marshall where you can go and you can serve. And maybe for some people in here, that's that's the step to take. But I think the key is: Are we willing to get uncomfortable? To be more in line with the mission of the heart of God. So can we sing this and then we'll close. Your love has ravished my heart. Taking we can all stand together. Me over, taking me over